Welcome everyone to the 41st Fireside Chat. And today we're going to start with a question that Oliver copied from an email, and this was submitted to the MBT forum. This is from a gentleman in Germany, and I'm starting with it first because he seems to be having quite a lot of trouble. Now, we always recommend that people seek professional advice, but this gentleman is... um, in a suicide state, uh, in, in that kind of state, and at least he was. He was taking different medications, and the thing that triggered it was a 10-year relationship. Um, he found that the medication wasn't working. He came across your videos, and he doesn't uh, want to continue with any kind of medication like that. It seems that that sort of um, keeps him... Uh, closed in, keeps him keeps him uh, disconnected. Um, he's having a great deal of trouble at work because this relationship that he was in for over ten years um, comes back to haunt him. He would like to get over this this relationship. He would like to uh, get away from this torturous, recurring dreams that he's having. And what is he? What he's asking? This gentleman uh, is called Martin. He's asking, "Is what is the purpose of this challenge for me?" He's in a torturous state, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. That's the reason I'm leading with this question. Um, was wondering if you could give him any advice. He's at quite the um, desperate stage. Well, Donna, you start me off with a very difficult one. Yes, uh, I did the hard one first. Yes, you know it's hard to it's hard for me to be definitive about it. the The problem that he has is probably a fear based problem. Um, it could be a you know a biological problem. It may just be that his biochemistry in his central nervous system is not uh, is, is not working the way it should work. Uh, now, both of these can be can both of those problems can be resolved with a with a focused intent, but they take clarity. They require clarity and focus, of which he is seems to be having a hard time developing either one of those those things. So that's what makes the problem difficult. The solutions are are hard to reach. If you're in that uh, state of despair, then clarity and focus are kind of hard to come by. Um, the idea that he keeps being uh, um, revisiting an old failed relationship and that he's tortured by that, that obviously is, is, his, is his ego, his attachment. He's attached to something. He does not want to um, accept that that has happened. So he keeps revisiting it and revisiting it. Um, once you accept it, you are able to let it go. So that's part, that's an ego problem of not being able to just let go. But again, that's tied up with his biochemistry, tied up with his fear and other things. So I suggest that he try to start a program of meditation. He's almost going to have to start at the beginning. Program of meditation where he, where he can find some clarity, where he can find a little peace while in a meditation state. Uh, 
if he has trouble doing that because his mind jumps around too much, then I would suggest he start with binaural beats. He can buy some very effective binaural beats at MBT events. Um, he should go through the various beats there. There may be, I think there's like 15 or 16 or 18 of them in the last group that MBT events has. And we'd be glad to make this a special purchase for him for free. I don't know what his financial circumstances are, but uh, MBT events can uh, give him a free set of binaural beats. And he should experiment with these and find ones that help him clear his mind, just to let go of all of this 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 uh, whirlwind of stuff that's running around in his head all the time. Once he gets some clarity, once he can get into a good theta state, a good meditation state, and calm that that noise that's kind of roaring around his head, then he has some opportunity to do something about the problem. Uh, while he has all this, in, this stuff roaring around in his head all the time, it's very hard for him to do anything about the problem because he's, he's too unfocused and too uh, wrapped up in, uh, in uh, this old relationship and other things to really get a good, solid, productive focus. So meditation is the first thing. Now, that may take some months. That's not a quick fix but it would seem to be the, the path that's most open to you. If you get a little clarity and you get a little uh, relief from the constant bombarding of, of uh, negative things, then spend that, spend that time with your mind focused on letting go. Letting go of your fear is the, is the key, but to begin with, let's just let go of that old relationship. Let's just let go and realize it is what it is. It's done. Okay, let go. Go on. Don't keep revisiting it. That's you not wanting to accept the fact that it's done. So you have to accept that. That's going to take some courage because your life will be different after you accept that. And that difference, though, though it may seem scary at first, will be a very positive difference. Just let it go. It is what it is. There are other things that will replace that. There are other relationships. There's much more in your life that, that is potential that you don't see right now because your, your vision is shut down by all the, you know, the ego and the fear. Uh, you, have the, you have beliefs that uh, things won't get better. You, know, you feel desperate. All of that will settle out if you can get this calm point in your mind. Realize that you have a lot of potential that's not yet actualized and that you need to begin actualizing that potential from a, an intent to let go of the things that are bothering you now. Other than that, uh, I, can't, you know, I can't give him too much advice in advance because it depends on how he interacts with the, with the um, with the meditation, how successful or not that is, I would say that he should work with it for a month or so and then get in touch with me. You know, send me an email. Um, you can get in touch to me in touch with me through uh, MBT events, same place you get the binaural beats. And I'll try to help coach you along the way as to, you know, what you need to do next. But start with calming your mind. You're too frantic now, too much energy swirling, too much instability in, in your thoughts. Too desperate and 
You need to just let all of that go, make a new start, be a new you without all of that. Step out of that old life into something new and fresh. You need to have the courage to do that. And when you get started down that path, send me an email and we'll take it from there. But there's no point in going into step three and four until you get, you know, step one, step one done. So, you know, good, good luck. Um, the key is letting go, letting things be as they are. Stop trying to relive the past. Just live in the present and be, let everything else be how it is as well. But that's where you have to start. Well, Tom, thank you. He's, he's concerned that these dreams and these visions that come to him every day, even before he opens his eyes in the morning, are, are not his. They're, they're just being imposed on him. He's asking, you know, what kind of support from the LCS could he expect? He's um, being tortured by these constant visions. And I think... <clears throat> the thing is that those visions aren't being imposed on him. Those visions are part of his fear and, and inability to accept things the way they are. They're not really imposed. It would seem that way because his intellect and his being level are kind of disconnected. And the intellect is saying, you know, why am I getting all this? I don't want it. I don't need it. But it comes anyway. That's because it's coming out of, the, out of his being level. So he just needs to step back, step out of that, that life and take control of his mind. And I think meditation may be the thing that will help him. He has to break the, you know, kind of break this chain that he's, that's got him wrapped up right now. He has to step out of that, break it and start off with a new perspective. I will, um, I will visit him. I will try. I will visit him after this. Uh, after we're done with this, this fireside chat, and see if I can't help him do that. But it's it's not that it's imposed on him from elsewhere. That's the way it appears to him because he doesn't appear to be connected to it. But it really is coming out of his own uh, uh, being level. It's coming out of his own frustration and his own. Uh, upset that things aren't the way he wants them to be. He needs to accept them the way they are. They're not likely to be the way he wants them to be, and that needs to be okay. You need to be able to accept that. Okay, Tom. He's he has work afterwards. Yes. Okay, that's really good. Um, he has tried a lot of meditation, but perhaps the binaural beats will um, assist him further and we'll be happy to do that for him. Um, he asks also, are there such life challenges that you decide on before you begin life? Is this uh, some kind of particular challenge for him for a particular reason? That's possible. Unlikely. It sounds pretty desperate, the, the, the hole he's kind of gotten himself into. It sounds pretty... Uh, pretty desperate. I doubt that that would be something he would he would initially take on. But the idea is that stuff happens and then we get to deal with it. So whatever it is that's happened to him and the progression of experiences that he's had that's ended up that's ended him up in this place that just, you know, is what's happened and he does need to take those on and deal with them positively, not with worrying over what could happen or what should have happened or why it happened. Let all that go. Just accept that it did happen. 
let it go and go on. That's easy for me to say. That's a very difficult thing for him to do. But that let him know that those those um, uh, you know those dreams, those feelings that he gets are not external to him. He can control those. He can make them go away. If he steps out of the life he's in into a new one, uh, it will. Those things will disappear. So he has to bring himself back from the brink, stabilize, meditate, and then get well from there. It's really uh, not external to him, but it's all internal to him. Well, thank you, Tom. Um, the next question will go right to Vanessa in Vancouver. And Vanessa's got one or two questions for you. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Donna. So the question that I had, Tom, is you in your book you say that um, we continue to cycle our individuated unit of consciousness through a quality improvement process until we reunite with OM or join the lab staff. And then you go on and you say, eventually, if we evolve the quality of our being sufficiently, we reunite to source, reflect it, and actually become it. Okay, so that's that's beautiful, and I feel like that is that's kind of the destination where we want to be. That's the whole point. Um, and at times, I think I and I think a lot of others get glimpses of this, where we become one with everything. Um, I guess the question is, how sustainable is this to have that you know that feeling of oneness, and then to also be playing this avatar role? Is that Possible? I mean, is that what, that's kind of what you're doing, I guess. Yeah, it's possible, Vanessa. Um, not necessarily an easy place to get to or sustain all the time, because you do have to interact here um, in ways that sometimes will kind of bring you out of that. It's like this: you you get to a point where that is available to you, that feeling, that connection, that oneness, and you kind of. Give that your attention when you need to. You feel that. That's a part of you. But it's not something that that monopolizes all of your awareness. So that just becomes part of your awareness, that you are this this one thing, that you are um, you know, kind of one with all that is, and you feel that. But at the same time, you can still... You know, work at your job, you know, pay your bills, drive your car, uh, help other people. You can still do those things at the same time. So the fact that you are that way doesn't have to dominate your life. You don't have to sit, you know, 24-7, you know, in the lotus position, uh, you know, with a grin on your face. That's not very productive in our reality. You know, you can do that on your off time. You know, when you have time, you can do that, but it's not necessary. You can be that. And still be active and interactive in this reality as it is. So the answer is it's not one or another. How can I be one and 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 you know one seems incompatible with the other, but it isn't really incompatible. Um, it's just you on the being level live in a bigger space in a bigger reality, but you can still interact and work in this reality just the same. You can still be focused in this reality just the same. That doesn't make you any less connected because you're focused here, because you have a mortgage to pay or children to raise or, you know, that that sort of thing. So you can do all that, 
and still be connected to okay. the real world. So it is sustainable and you can do it. I would make one uh, comment uh, when you read that from my book. Uh, when I say, uh, you know, kind of join the larger conscious system and become it, I don't mean that in the sense that you lose your identity. You don't lose your identity. It's not like you you join it and become absorbed by it and you no longer exist as, as uh, an individual unit of consciousness. You always remain an individual unit of consciousness, but you do still eventually grow up to become it. You see, you can do that. That's, that is, like you say, that is where we're going, but it doesn't, you don't lose your individual um, identity. You just keep living in a bigger and bigger reality. Mm, okay. That's beautiful. Thank you. I really like that because, um, and I do see you as living proof of someone who's actually doing that and that seeing you lead by example makes me feel like it is attainable. Um, and I feel like this is the first time we've ever had kind of a living example because before it was always reserved to the Buddhas of the world. Um, so it's exciting to be, I guess, alive at the same time as you so that um, I have somebody that I can see actually living this. this, uh, this well, Vanessa I'm, Vanessa, I'm just like you. I'm, I'm working on it just like you're working on it. And I think we always will be working on it. You know, if we stop working on it, it starts to dissipate. We start to lose it. It's the it's the use it, apply it or lose it. So it's it's not like you get to a point where you're done and you're not working on it anymore. So mm -hmm. I'm still working. I'm still working in that direction, just as you're working in that direction. And mm -hmm. as you grow up and get bigger in a bigger reality, you won't stop working here. You'll just see everything with a little different perspective, but you'll still interact with it, you know, effectively. So that's, you know, that's, it's like, look at the difference between when you were, you know, when you were 10 years old and when you are, you know, what, 25 year old. And then when you're 30 year old, you know, look at that difference and you see your perspective changes, but you're still interacting with your, your reality. You know, you're still doing things. You just take on more responsibility and you have more, more things you need to keep track of. You're living in a bigger reality with more choices in it. But it's still you doing that. So it's the same thing. You just keep on growing. Your reality keeps getting bigger. Your choices keep getting bigger. And you mm. function in it. So it's just more of what you've been doing. It right. just, uh, you know, it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm always curious to, to see, like, okay, so I get that you're still working on it, too. Um, just like yeah. all of us are working on it. And all of us, all of us pretty much kind of share a lot of the same areas that we're working on, such as anger, frustration, jealousy, inadequacy, all these things, these human dilemmas. I'm curious though, like what is it that you're working on? Cause I don't see you ever struggling with your inadequacy or jealousy or anything like that. So what is it that you're working on? Well, you know, I have to continually work on all those little things as well in the, in the sense that if you, if you, are not mindful, you know, you have a tendency to backslide. So you do have to always be aware of what you're doing, how you're interacting with people. When you interact with people, you have to understand what's their takeaway, not your takeaway, but what's their takeaway? You know, what are you, what are you giving them that they can work with? And what are you giving them that they can't work with, that they can't use, that's not positive for them? So 
the more you grow up, the more it's about other and the less it is about yourself. So in the process of growing up, it's mostly about yourself, your own fears, you know, your own ego, getting rid of all those things that you mentioned. It's about that. After you grow up, it's about how do you apply that in the world to make the, you know, the most difference? How, how can you be of service? How can you be helpful to people? So it kind of changes. But you still have to keep up with all the daily, you know, interactions and things. You know, you still, uh, you know, have those situations to deal with. So you're constantly getting practice at dealing with all the little things as well as having to, um, you know, deal with the, with the bigger things. So it never stops. You know, if you live in this world and you interact with people, then you're going to find people who are challenging. You're going to find people who are rude. You're going to find people who are angry. You're going to find people who don't understand. And you constantly then have to deal with all of that with caring and with love and without ego and, you know, without getting wound up or angry or that sort of thing. So you never quit working at all the levels. You just keep adding more at the top. Right. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Vanessa, I noticed you had another question. If you wanted to go ahead and ask that, you can. Okay. I didn't want. Okay. Sure. Um, my other question is about. Oh, yes. Uh, okay. So one of my favorite quotes of yours is manipulating material. Manipulating material existence to suit your needs is all well and good, but understanding the big picture is vastly more significant. I love that because it puts things into perspective. And like you were saying, rather than making it all about me and getting what I want, what I need, it actually makes me see, oh, there's a bigger purpose to my life. And it's to serve, it's to give, it's to help, it's to grow and evolve. So keep things in perspective. But then it also goes against everything that I've learned up until this point because before I was taught to, you know, fight for my right and it's it's hard work and dedication to my goals and I have to really try hard to achieve what it is that I want. And I still think there's a time and place for that. So the question is, where's kind of the balance between choosing choosing a direction for my life to go into and kind of what reality I want to create. And then actually just allowing life to unfold naturally and let it happen um, and living gracefully with uncertainty. Because I see that that's how you live is you really just allow things to happen and everything always works out. And I've tasted that, too. And I, and I see when I, I do just trust the process, it's, it's serendipitous. It's magical. It's beautiful. But then it's like I'm not even involved anymore. It's, it's like I'm just, you know, I'm just going with the flow. But then where's. Like, I know I need to apply free will. So you get what I'm saying? Like, how, where's the balance there? Well, again, you have to still, you know, pay your mortgage, you know, put gas in the car. Well, you got to buy the car or, or uh, lease it. Um, so you have things you have to do. You have responsibilities. So if you mm -hmm. look at all these responsibilities, uh, you have responsibilities to other people. You have responsibilities to your children. You have responsibilities to parents, to friends, to whatever, and to your pets. So you fulfill all these responsibilities, you know, as you go. That's important. And you do it 
while remaining in this in this flow that that things happen. When you say that you go with the flow, that doesn't mean that just whatever happens, you're good with it. Sometimes you're not good with things that happen. What you have to do is is realize that the point of this is the lowering of entropy, the becoming of love. So look at yourself and the whole system and see what is it that I need to do to lower the entropy here, you know, to make things work better so that it's better for everybody. And then you realize that a lot of those things, those choices that you have to make that have to do with, uh, you know, what you have to do to pay the mortgage and take care of your children, all those things that are your responsibilities are all things that lower entropy. If you didn't pay the mortgage and didn't take care of your children, that would make things worse. You see, things wouldn't be lower entropy, they'd be higher entropy. So you need to do those things that help lower entropy. And sometimes that means that you have to, uh, you know, you have to educate, you have to take a stand, you have to uh, have some uh, sense of, of, you know, what's the right thing? What's the low entropy thing? So there's a, time for, there's a time for turning the other cheek and there's a time for fighting back. It just depends on what the low ent- entropy path is for those things. Uh, you understand what the low entropy path is as you evolve and as you grow up, it, make, it becomes clearer and clearer. So it's not a matter of just, uh, you know, being like a, a stoner, you know, that is, uh, you know, constantly high and you're just going with the flow and everything is fine, man, and, you know, that kind of thing. That's not the point. The point is to get involved and get attached, get connected, you know, get engaged and try to do things that lower entropy. And every time you get angry or upset, you're raising entropy. That's not a solution to anything. All that is is part of the problem. So we need to get rid of that behavior. But when you're, you know, uh, keeping up your your, uh, yourself, you know, cleaning up your apartment, taking care of your children, you know, doing all those kinds of things, then that's that's lowering entropy. That's helping people. So it's not just chill out and go with the flow, you need to accept what comes with, with grace. You know, you need to, stuff happens, instead of denying that it happens, not accepting that it happens, struggling with the fact that it has happened, and not ever letting go that this stuff has happened, constantly trying to change it. You see, that's a, that's a high entropy approach. So as things happen, you have to realize that all the other people in this world also have free will, and they can do, they can make their own decisions, and you just have to live with that. So if their decisions are things you don't like, you have to say, well, okay, that's their decision. They have free will. Uh, you know, it's not what I would want. I don't think that's good for them, but it's their choice. I'm not, you know, they're, they're not my toddler. I can't tell them what to do. So I have to live with their choices and do that gracefully, not do it with through clenched teeth and anger, but do it with it's okay. You let mm-hmm. things go. So when you have that attitude, there's very little in life that ever upsets you because it's just people doing what they do, making their own choices, their own free will, struggling you know, with their issues, just like you're struggling with your issues. Yeah. And there's, there's very little that can, that can hit any of your buttons. You get rid of all those buttons that uh, create those emotional responses that you, you know, that are negative. 
So mm-hmm. let's just keep just keep growing up. Just keep thinking about the big picture and how do you uh, lower your entropy and the entropy of everybody around you, you know, of the whole system. And then that's the stuff you do. If that means you have to man the barricades and get up and wave the flag and, you know, holler and, you know, make a, a big scene to attract attention to one of your, you know, pet ideas. Well, if you think that's the low entropy solution, then go do it. Climb up on that barricade and wave your flag. If you think all that is is expressing your ego because you don't like the way things are and you're just going to get up there because you're upset and angry about the way things are, then it's a, that's not a low entropy solution. That's a high entropy solution. If you think you're helping educate people, then that's a low entropy solution. If all you're doing is, is annoying other people and making them retreat further into their own beliefs, then that's a high entropy solution, you see? So it's not the thing that's so important that you do. It's the intent with which you do it and mm. the competency with which you, you judge, you know, is it going to raise it or lower entropy? Now, you're only as competent as you are grown up. So sometimes you won't know whether you're raising or lowering entropy. Well, make your best guess and go do it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So you learn from experience. You see what happens. And if what happens is you're not doing any good, all you're doing is throwing more gasoline on a fire that's already burning, and it just makes your ego feel better to do it, well, then stop. You see, it's not mm-hmm. a good thing to do. If you feel that you really are making a positive difference, then do more of it. So yeah. That's the thing. So, so you just have to always take your best guess. Okay, I don't know whether what I'm going to do next is going to lower entropy or raise entropy. I'm not sure. I think it's going to lower it, but I'm not sure. Then I do it and see what happens. What's the, okay. what's the, what are the consequences? But you see, you can't be afraid. Well, I don't want to do anything because I don't know whether it's the right thing or not. Now you're paralyzed. You can't do anything because mm. you'll never know. Yeah. You'll probably never know whether, you know, in the long term, whether it's good or not. So do it, but stay aware of the consequences and not just consequences for you, but consequences for everybody. Are you really being part of the solution or are you just, you know, making a lot of noise and being part of the problem? So mm-hmm. those are the kind of decisions you have to make. Yeah, that's really helpful. I love how you can always read my mind because it's always I'm going into formulating another question and then you answer it with uh, what you're saying. But yeah, that was something that I had was I, I have this idea, this nonprofit, and there's things I want to do with it. But then I, I feel like I feel nervous or I feel kind of, I guess, yeah, inadequate. Like, who am I to do it? Um, and so I think my ego comes in and tries to talk me out of it. And it's like, no, you don't really need to do that. No, you can just, you can play small and continue living the way that you've always been living. Um, but then I'm just, I, and I, I guess sometimes I get caught up in discerning between, um, my fear and my intuition. Cause sometimes I think that my ego is my intuition and I'm like, oh no, my intuition tells me that I shouldn't do this thing. But I'm learning now to recognize that it's yeah. usually my yeah. if you If you worry about that, you'll get wrapped up around your intellect trying to figure out what's the best path. Just do it. If you think it looks like something you really want to do, go do it. Put your heart into it. Make as much as you can out of it. And then look at it later and see how's it working. You know, am I really lowering entropy in the, in the system or am I not? If you're not, then think of something else to do. 
But if you try to figure that out ahead of time, what exactly is my you know low entropy approach? You won't end up doing anything. You'll just, <laughs> yeah. sit, you'll just sit around and think about all the things you could have done and never actually accomplish anything. You see? Yeah. And then when and then when you're 70 years old, you'll you know you'll all you'll have is a bunch of re- bunch of regrets that you never yeah. really did anything that you wanted to do. You see. Right. So don't let that stop you. Just go do it and <laughs> be aware of the feedback. So you're not yeah. expected to be you're not expected to be brilliant and know everything. You're just expected to try. You're expected to do the best you can. And then learn from the results. And then you'll grow from that. If you find out that the consequences weren't all that good, not what you wanted, then let it go. Don't feel bad. Oh, I failed. You know, I shouldn't have done this. Oh, that was just my ego. Well, all those things may be true. But just pick pick up the pieces. Learn your lesson. So you don't do that. Make those mistakes again. And then go on to the next thing. Growing up is a a series of of, uh, guesses. That then we learn from how they how they work out. Yeah, we don't don't have to figure it out. Don't keep second guessing yourself. You want to go make that you know that five hundred one c three or whatever it's called in Canada. You know if you if you want to do that nonprofit, well go do it. See how it works out. Put your heart into it, and if it turns out it's making everybody upset and angry, well then. Do something else. If it turns out that uh, people are really getting a lot out of it, well, then, you know, keep going. And if you want to start another one, then get somebody else to run that one while you go start another one. You see? Yeah. So you just just keep pursuing your passion, but learn from it. The problem is most people pursue their passions and then don't learn a thing. You know, they're doing things that are that aren't working out, but they've got so much ego invested in it that they – that they can't see that it's not working out. So they just keep on doing it and keep on doing it. That's the only thing you need to avoid. You don't need to avoid starting off on a wrong path. You'll find mm-hmm. that out soon enough after you do some evaluation of where that path leads. Yeah. Just start. Yeah. Go go someplace. Make your best guess at what's a low entropy choice. Do it. Learn from it and grow. Okay. That's thank you. That's, that's really that's, good advice. That's that is the being open-minded and remaining skeptical. You see, the mm-hmm. person you have to remain most skeptical of is yourself. Yeah. Always be able to assess yourself accurately and say, am I really lowering entropy or am I just, uh, you know, making my ego feel good? Well, you won't mm-hmm. know that until you've done enough of it that you have data to look at. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think the thing that trips me up is that when I am kind of just, going with the flow, not like a stoner. I don't smoke weed though, (laughs) but when I am like just allowing things to unfold naturally and in that flow state, everything just happens so easy. And like I said, magically. And then when I want, when I'm thinking, okay, now I need to even go even bigger. And my thing is like public speaking. I have, I have a fear of public speaking, but I know I need to get this. I feel like I, we need to get this message out to the masses. And then when I think about, okay, well, sharing that message requires me to, you know, share this to a large amount of people, then I get really scared. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm too nervous. I can't do that. So, um, and that doesn't feel like that flow state that I'm used to. So I'm kind of like, well, maybe I shouldn't do that then because it should be easy. Well, that's a fear, Vanessa. When you run into your own fears, you should try to overcome them. 
So if you yeah. have a fear of public speaking, then what you ought to do is start, you know, volunteering for public speaking so that you get a chance to do it. And yes, you'll be terrified the first dozen times, but you'll get over it. You'll get rid of that fear and, you know, you won't have it anymore. So instead of saying, oh, yeah, I got that fear, so I better not go there. So, yeah, yeah I've got that fear. I need to push against that until I get rid of it. Yeah. See, yeah. that's the process of growing up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. We have Scott, who's new to the MBT uh, Fireside Chat. So, Scott, if you'd like to ask your questions, please go ahead. Yes. Uh, my first question deals with empathy and people are empathetic. I feel it's really good to be able to have the ability to feel what other people are feeling to really connect with them and understand them for healing purposes. But um, something I struggle with, especially like sexual anxiety in places with larger numbers of people, it feels like I don't have boundaries to be able to make distinctions between what I'm feeling and what others are feeling. Because I know a lot of times when I'm in social situations, it just feels like, information overload and I'm not able to distinguish between my own feelings and other people's feelings. So I don't know if there's a, any techniques or anything you can do about that, or is that just something I'm going to have to learn to do on my own as I go down this journey? No, there are some things you can do about that. Uh, you, you are, you have a lot of empathy and you, what you learn need to learn to do is to turn that off when you want it off and to turn it on when you want it on. It isn't something that needs to be on all the time. And you can turn it off and on with your intent. You evidently have a, a deep level intent that says you want to connect with people. You want to be able to you know, connect with them in a, in a deep and, and personal way. You want that information. And so you're getting all that information. You can have an intent that says, I want to control that information. I want to be able to gather that information when I want to. When I ask for it, I will have that empathetic connection with people. And you may ask for it when you're in a group of people, just to feel the, you know, the, the energy of the group. But then you may turn it off, or you may turn it on for an individual. But it's just like um, the network, just like the Internet. You know, you can turn on a, a website and you can click and turn it off. You get to turn it off based on your intent. And it's the same way here. It's just going to take practice because you've got this this openness inside of you that wants to connect with everybody. It's kind of this caring connectedness with everyone that you're feeling, which is what's opening you up to all of the feelings. Well, that caring connectedness is a good thing. It's not something you want to get rid of. It's a good thing you want to keep. But you want to keep it selectively so that you have caring for everybody, but you don't necessarily need all their data. You know, you don't necessarily want to collect all that information. It's their stuff. Let them keep it. You only need to tap into it when it's useful. And usually it's only useful when you need to interact with them or need to be helpful to them. So practice with uh, probably with an individual or somebody that you know that uh, has a fair amount of emotion going on in their life and 
you know, maybe you have a 13-year-old sister, you know, guaranteed that she would be having emotion going on her life 24-7 because that's the nature of being a 24, I mean, a, a you know, 13-year-old girl. But if you have somebody like that, that you pick, that you can pick things up and you can distinguish who it is, you know, and where it's coming from, then just turn it off. Say, that's hers, not mine. I can, uh, you know, I can, I can uh, feel that. I can get that data if I want it, but I can turn it off if I don't. And just practice turning it off with an intent. I don't want to get that. It's hers. It's her private stuff. I don't belong there. I don't need to get it all the time. Now, if she is having a problem and she comes to me and asks for some advice, then I need to understand how she's feeling, and then I'll turn it on. But otherwise, not my business, not my life. I don't have to get it. People are on their own path. They don't need me to monitor them. They are perfectly capable of making their own choices in their own way, even if they make them badly, and I'll just let that be. So those are the that's kind of the intent you have to have. And with that intent, uh, you should find that you can turn it off. First, it'll just turn it down, but then keep working, and it'll turn it off. And when you do that, then practice with larger groups and larger groups till it's just second nature to you. You always keep it turned off unless you want to turn it on for some reason. So maintain your caring for everybody. Maintain your feeling of connectedness to everybody, but just turn off the data. You don't need that. That doesn't have to come with it. That can be selective. So you have to do that. Otherwise, you know, you kind of drive yourself nuts with all this information that you really don't want, don't need, and shouldn't have. You know, it's all their personal stuff. Their feelings are kind of their own personal stuff that you don't want to, you know, eavesdrop on. But you can't help it because those feelings are just, they feel it so loud and it just comes and you just get it. Not because you're trying to get it, but because you just do get it. And you do get it because you have this connection with everybody, this level of caring and empathy. Just get selective with it. With practice, you'll see. You can you can turn it off. That's definitely something I need to work on. I'm sure I could find some people to try that. If, thank you. Scott, was that your only question, or did you have another one? Yes. This okay. Is, um, more of a left-brained intellectual question that might be on the level of conjecture, but I just felt really interested in asking you about it. It's whether or not you think geometry has any kind of relationship with consciousness. Because when, for instance, if you look at pi, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, this is just stuff I found research, but it's a non-repeating decimal number, which would mean that it has every possible combination and bits of data to create any code for our experiences. And it seems like it could possibly be like a kind of like a DNA for consciousness. And I just find it interesting. I see there's a lot of ancient stone megaliths around the world that are circles within circles and within circles and even crop circles are very common. It just reminds me of, um, process fractals or cellular automata that you've said before could possibly um, evolve their self to become a general purpose computer. 
Um, just wanted to get your ideas on that. I know it's probably on the level of conjecture, but felt like asking anyways. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're right that pi, you know, is a is a uh, a value that has decimal places that never repeat, and they go on and on and on. There's no end. There's no end to those decimal places. That doesn't necessarily mean that all the combinations and permutations of of um, you know digits are there, um, or maybe that is. Perhaps you might say that in a theoretical sense, but not in any practical sense. There's not a practical sense where you can apply that sort of thing to you know say all the codes in it. I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it uh, isn't really a useful way of of looking at it. But mathematics is is an integral part of the rule set. For all, this is a virtual reality, and it's computed. Well, it has to be computed with rules. Rules are what we call mathematics. Mathematics is a bunch of rules. You know, how do you? It's actually our our math that we have that we know in our reality is it's the logic of quantity. The quantity has certain logics, like if you got two apples and two oranges, you have four fruit. You know, that's just the logic of quantity. So that's what math is. So we have this rule set that defines how things can interact. And math is a large part of that rule set, how it works, how things connect. What are the logical consequences of, of one thing interacting with another thing? All that is, is mathematically computed. That's why science, physics in particular, models reality with mathematics, because they find out that's a very good way to model reality. So physicists are basically applied mathematicians. They take the mathematics and they apply it and say, this mathematics describes reality. That's because reality is computed, you see. So if it's uh, computed, then... Math is the natural way to describe it. That's why physics is a is a math, really, a, a, a an applied math uh, more than anything else. So math and math, uh, geometry, and consciousness are connected in the sense that our virtual reality okay, is developed or is generated by a rule set which is mathematically based. So you wouldn't be surprised to find things in our in our virtual reality that follow mathematical um, uh, sequences, you know, Fibonacci sequence. Uh, lots of things keep you know the the golden mean. These things come up over and over and over again as as you look at our uh, as what's going on here and in, in the details of the structures of things. Well, that's because they work. Those things work. They, they are things that help uh, describe this virtual reality. Equations and geometry that, that uh, you know, the circle, pi, you know, it, it's a relationship between, you know, the circumference and the diameter of a circle. You know, well, circle is a fundamental piece of geometry. It's inclusive. You know, circles, you'll find those all over, not because really it's the circle so much as it's a concept of circle, like in Venn diagrams, where circles denote, you know, what's inside of a system. 
And where some systems overlap, you'll have two circles, and part of those two circles will overlap. So they describe those kinds of things. So it's not really the geometry of the circle so much as it is the idea of what's included within a boundary. Um, it's just nicer to do those with circles instead of doing them with, uh, you know, other things. Just, you know, you could do it with stars and where the little star points overlap. You know, you could do that, but it's just not. It doesn't lend itself as well, you know, to the explanation and to trying to explain something or see something. So a lot of the this kind of sacred geometry, it's not really sacred. There's nothing sacred about it. It's it's not uh, uh, sacred in the normal sense of that word. It's just that it is those equations and mathematics that tend that have shown themselves or that have with evolution been very, very useful in describing this physical reality. So we see them applied over and over again. Kind of reminds me, when I was doing simulations, one of my favorite uh, things was uh, ellipsoids. I used ellipsoids. You know, it, uh, it's like it's an ellipse. You can make it flat. You can make it a line. You can make it a circle. You can do all kinds of things with it. And I used ellipsoids to make people, airplanes, uh, you know, Helicopters, I could model almost anything, and about 90% of the shapes I used were ellipsoids because you can stack them to do almost everything, you know, roughly. So somebody who looked at my simulations would say that all oh, the ellipsoids were uh, sacred, you know, in my uh, calculations. They weren't really sacred to me. They just happened to be really useful because they, you know, they did a lot of things because in nature you don't find many 90 degree corners. There's hardly any sharp corners anywhere in nature. You know, nature just doesn't construct a lot of things, you know, in a box shape. So curve, curve things just fit better um, in describing nature. So it's not so much that the geometry is sacred as it just turned out to be really useful. So it gets used over and over again. And yes, this is a fractal reality, which means the stuff that works continues on and gets applied more. And it, the same things that are, you know, the same things that are at, at the, uh, okay, say, in our evolution, you see, it's a conscious evolution fractal. So in those things where the evolution of consciousness and this virtual reality is part of that, the stuff that works then gets used more. So you do, you see the same things reoccurring and reoccurring because that's part of the, that's kind of the, the evolution of the, of the process. So that's all. The sacred is kind of a metaphor that I'd say really means special. And it's special just because you see it all over because it just happens to work well. That's all. It's just a practical way of doing the things that the rule set did in our evolution. At least that's my perspective on it. That's a lot of hand-waving, but uh, there's, there's nothing really too magic about mathematics. It's just logic just relationships it's relationships of quantity logical the logic of of uh, relationships and quantities and you can have some neat little things like the golden mean that can just generate a lot of nifty nifty shapes